And it's that spirit, it's that Holy Spirit that the scripture talks to us about that leads us to the truth sometimes. I've tied this together with this, is that so many of us came into faith in believing in the Lord, believing in morals, believing in right and wrong, sitting in a pew on Sunday morning. And that it was there that when, when, when something happened or somebody would ask a question or somebody did something wrong, you'd have that gut feeling. You'd have that check in your spirit that you would knew it was right or wrong. And that is the helper. That's what God, that's what the Messiah said was going to come after he was gone, was his spirit was going to come and it was going to, going to be help you to remember the words of Yeshua and all the things that he commanded. And that spirit inside of you was that gut check that everybody has and everybody's still sitting in church on Sunday morning. There's a lot of people that still have that too. But then we come into knowledge. We come into what we call truth. We learn about Torah, the commandments, those teachings. And those things we read though, we finally open our Bibles from page one instead of two thirds through the book. And you go back, you start reading and then you realize that there, everything that you knew in your spirit is confirmed with words on a page. Amen and amen. But what happens is people go so far into that, go so far into the truth, go so far into the words on the page that they then forget that immeasurable feeling that's unquantifiable, that's in their heart, in their soul, that speaks to them and tells them right and wrong. But yet, for the most part, our movement is very, very comfortable with staying the same. Don't you dare take the plastic off of grandma's couch. quickest way to get beat. We're worried if we say Jesus. We're worried if we say Yahweh. Because it's Yahovah. It's Yahuwah. Tell you what, none of us are Hebrew scholars. So let's just do the best we can. We allow semantics to define us. And those semantics drive a wedge between us and others. Especially in the generational gap.
everything I have is yours Shalom and welcome to our live stream. My name is Chris Frankie and I'm one of the pastors here at HFF. We're glad that you've joined us. If this is your first time joining us for a service, welcome. The service is going to start in just a couple of minutes. At Hebraic Family Fellowship, we are a family-centered fellowship. We believe that the most important ministry that the Lord has given us is to our own home, to our wives, our husbands, to our children. We're glad you're here with us. We pray that your Sabbath has been blessed. And we can't wait to meet you in person one day soon. Shabbat Shalom. Start that set of yeah, we gotta, over again. We got that's that fun. We were no. all sitting there like, uh, wait, no, what is what? That, we all checking calendars. It's May 10th that is Mother's Day. Yeah, it's a May Sunday. 10th is Mother's Day. So the 9th is precedes Mother's Day. Right. The 16th is nothing. Welcome back to uh, HFF's broadcast. As you can see, <laughs> quarantine has got us like, uh, should be fun. As, it has us all wearing the same colored shirt. Yeah, should be fun. Uh, quarantine we're hair. All don't uh, at each other's throats <laughs> should make for today's broadcast super exciting as uh, we're going to go through commandments, customs, and traditions. Um, for those of you commenting on my hair, it is a custom and 
doesn't matter. <laughs> For those of you commenting on Ephraim's hair, he's thinking about shaving it to look like Daniel. So uh, we're excited to be back in person with you guys on the 16th of May. So um, mark your calendars, take a shower, get your hair did, and see us there on Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom, everybody, and uh, welcome to HFF's Time of Worship. Uh, we're going to try something new uh, in these times that we're at. Uh, we're looking for the unique opportunity to, to praise and to worship together, to study together. And so as, uh, as we gather into a time of worship today, a time of praise and adoration, um, turn your TV up. Let your kids dance around. Let's not be confined in our homes, but let's let our praise burst through every household that is out there. And so, um, Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together to praise you. We worship you in this place, Father. We love you and we give you all the glory. In Yeshua's name, amen. This is what freedom feels 
cannot hold back my praise. Just how amazing you are. This is freedom. When Israel comes together to praise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he will show up.
King of the universe. The Lord over all the earth. Blessed art thou in this place, in this time, in this season. Father, that's our prayer that we will see a victory. For the battle belongs to the Lord. This last song that we're going to do today, I'm going to do my best to try to get through. But as we sing this together, I I just sing this over your family. I sing this over your family. Face toward 
children and children
for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the most high and holy God, the one true God, may his favor go before you and be beside you all around you and your children and their children. May the blessing of the Lord be upon your home. May we speak about the Lord with our children in this time of distress. May we see the unique opportunity for us to be the hands and feet of Yeshua. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. O King, O Helper, O Savior, O Shield, blessed are you in this place. For it's in the name of Yeshua we humbly come before you. Amen and Amen. All right. Oh, this is the encouraging part. This is the good part. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for the blessing that you give. Father, I heard wisdom last night. You said that your children, they can either be a burden or they can be a blessing. And a lot of that comes down to our hearts. So, Father, we thank you that our hearts can be for our children in this blessing, Father. Right now, I ask you just favor them with life and health and peace right now. We thank you so much for your goodness, Father. Every single one is a unique blessing and a unique gift from you. Father, I know Chris mentioned this morning about restoration. Thank you that these kids are part of our restoration process. Father, not only seeing that, you know, the mistakes that we make in life, Father, we can see our children grow up and, and not make those same mistakes, but walk in the fullness. Teach us, Father, that we may raise our children in wisdom and in delight. Thank you, Father. You've called the Sabbath a delight, Father, and a lot of that has to do with us spending times and time with our families. Thank you, Father. We commit today to you. We ask that every single child here, Father, would be favored with your goodness, Father, to grow up and, and you to be building blocks and to be vessels in the glory of your kingdom. May they await your return and may they do your kingdom work in the meantime. We thank you now. We praise you for all these things in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. We're excited to be back with you guys today. Uh, this is going to be the third installment of Commandments, Customs, Traditions, or Customs, Traditions, Commandments. We can't remember exactly what the title Whichever, was. The last whichever way times. you want to layer it. Yeah, so uh, we'll have to come up with a new graphic anyways for it. But uh, we're excited to be back and do that. Um, got Daniel, got Ephraim here with me. And uh, I'm going to help kind of moderate since they're definitely smarter than I am. Um, not better looking, but smarter than I am. Uh, for <laughs> oh, man, quarantine's got us all screwed up. So I uh, hope you guys can laugh at home today. Um, if not, uh, well, hopefully you'll laugh at us today. So we're going we're gonna to dive right in. we got some juicy topics. We're going to try to get this done in our allotted time. So we're going to dive in specifically to start with prayer. And we, I want us to talk about two different types of prayer. 
There is the more structured prayer, which on the Jewish side is liturgical. Uh, we also have... Why did he point at you when he said that? I don't know. I guess I'm more <laughs> Jewish of the, uh, of the three of us. Then we have the more Christian side, which is like Why the apostles, apostles' Creed and stuff like that. Then you have the free-flowing uh, Bethel prayer, um, robbing graves, whatever, uh, type of just prayer. <laughs> oh, it's good to be back. Uh, so let's dive into that because obviously there are, there are some places that um, they absolutely believe that we can only do Siddur prayers, uh, a prayer book, structured prayers, mm -hmm. same prayers every week. Um, and then there's some that say, well, that's, that's too rote, that's too routine. So Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll kick us off here where as a guy that grew up in Messianic synagogues where uh, the structured Siddur prayers became, you know, just part of the weekly routine. On Sabbath, you'd have these prayers. These are the prayers that you do. I grew up with that as a, as a style, and I know all those prayers. Whenever I've gone to another Messianic synagogue before and heard the same prayers that I've heard that I've heard as a kid brings back these incredible memories, you know, know them by heart, you know, when certain ones, uh, certain ones come up and that each service is different. So each congregation has sometimes a different order to things and the, and the way to do it. Everybody also sounds different sometimes, you know, that they don't say the Shema the same way every time, or they don't say the, the ironic blessing, the, ironic the, blessing same the same way you know, all the time. And so there, there's, there's an atmosphere of structure when you go to a service like that. And when you have those prayers, when you have those, uh, those ordered prayers. Now, what they say about it is that it's a type of worship. It's a it's a worship service that you know many of the prayers come straight out of Scripture, and that you are basically reading some of the Psalms, some of the other commandments, and you're recounting these things as to why we are here doing this service. Um, I I personally have a love for services like that. However, one of the things that I know, and and when you read about what the Messiah said about right before he talked about the Lord's Prayer is he said that people, some people do prayers with vain repetitions and that those prayers are not, um, are not the appropriate way to pray because there's this, there's this uh, rote, routine, repetitive nature to it. And one of the things that I personally don't understand is perhaps there might have been a certain sect of Judaism that the Messiah was addressing at that time. And so, uh, honestly, it, it's one of those things where I can see the pros and cons of those structured prayers um, to know that, look, these are supposed to be special, they're supposed to be reverent, they're supposed to be worshiped to the Lord. However, I do understand that there might be some places and some people that do these things without the heart behind it and do it just because it's the custom, just because this is the way that we do it. And you always have to sort of judge what's the heart of the person who's giving the prayer, sometimes in addition to what is actually being said. Okay, so using that logic, then that would also fall into some of the more traditional Christian churches where they have the same creeds, they have the same prayer, they say right. the Lord's Prayer, doxology, whatever, the doxology, like yes. Right. Uh, you know, ultimately, Daniel, chime in on this and, and because, you know, I think we do find ourselves a lot in, in services getting questioned, whether it's even just HFF or in general, where it's like, well, why do you do the same thing? Why is it over and over the same week? And, and it appears, at least for me, if we do exactly the same thing over and over and over again, all the time in exactly the same method, that 
it's almost impossible not to become rote mm -hmm. or not to become like a walking zombie while you're praying because you've memorized it. And while there maybe is beauty in that, you are ultimately just being repetitive in right. the nature. But I also have some concerns when you talk about you're just going to willy-nilly make up words right. and just whatever happens, happens. And yeah. I mean, there, there's, I guess there's always a concern on, on being too far on either side of sure. that. So and and from my perspective, uh, like I come from almost the polar opposite of where Ephraim comes from. You know, Ephraim has been blessed with the stability of having the same type of structure, you know, throughout his entire life. Whereas for me, uh, you know, I started off in, in a church where it was Pentecostal. And so there was no structured prayer. It was, it was primarily all stuff that was done in very free form. And my first experience with a structured prayer was actually a negative one. It was when my cousin who was confirmed in the Catholic Church, I went to that confirmation and it was up, down, kneel, sit, stand, say this, 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 the Lord bless you and you. It was just, it was robotic. robotic. It was weird. Um, that said, then later on in my life, um, I attended a Presbyterian church and I experienced my first catechism and it was refreshing. Um, it wasn't so much a prayer as it was where the, the, um, I guess they would call him a minister in a, in a Presbyterian church. The minister asks a question, and everyone has a, a program or bulletin in which they see the question and what they're supposed to answer. And in that, the whole body answers together. So, for instance, the example was, why are we instructed not to kill, not to murder? Okay, or you know, whatever the question was. And the whole body answers together, in we are instructed not to murder because of this and this. And that's not necessarily a prayer, but I found that to be refreshing in that with that happening, like everyone was answering together and there was unity in the body. Now, mm -hmm. the drawback to that, being, being new to that, it was very exciting to see that. But I'm looking around and I'm seeing that some people are just reading it off because that's what they do every week. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so there's, there's somewhere, there's a balance in there yeah, to be had. And, and that's what I was trying to say is you have to see the heart of the person as they're yeah. doing it. And sometimes the spirit will give you the sense that you need in that situation. If you go to a congregation and they have structured prayer. Like you, you said, your first experience with it was negative. Second experience, though, yeah. was, was, was different. And you do, you, you can sometimes just sense from the spirit of the room, the hearts of the people, when they're doing the prayer, they, they have a, they, they've, they've got a spirit or a heart or a love that's, that's inside, that's behind it. And you might go to some places and just be like, yeah, the up, down, standing up, right. doing this, and this is just how we do it. It's just our custom. And if it feels robotic, you know, and, and you have that negative experience, then that that's where you sort of feel like, hmm, there, there's something wrong here. There's right. something wrong with it. And I don't know if it's necessarily specific to structured prayer versus free-flowing prayer, because I think you could go to probably some charismatic congregations or churches and have a great time and feel like the move, spirit was really moving. And then you can other, other times that you feel like it's just wild and chaos and, yeah. and out of control. And so again, it's reading the spirit of the room. So I don't know if you stand on one side or the other and say that one is wrong and yeah. one is right, only that you find either the balance between them and you sense truly the spirit, the hearts of the people and the spirit of the room who's actually doing it and worshiping in that way. Um, I know with me, if I've ever been leading some of the formal Torah services or 
or, or liturgy. And I used to see, I, I remember all the up, down, up, down, yeah. stand up for that one, sit down for that one, then stand up for that one and sit down for that one. And it got distracting. It mm-hmm. really, That was distracting to me either as a young person or who's getting used to it and somebody who's new. And so when I've led, I actually like sort of blending some of the prayers together. And it's just like, hey, for this whole section, we're going to stand. For this section, we're going to s- sit down. And let's try to break that up. Let's not be so specific from one prayer to the next, but let's just make it flow a little bit easier yeah. for that new person that maybe it's just a it's trying to just help the spirit to be comfortable in the room is some of the decisions and little changes that I've made. Um, and that's my heart for it to for there to not be any part of the service that's distracting for yeah. a fellow believer. And and for yeah. me it's it's like I'm torn on the topic, honestly, because I've seen the good and the bad of both. Mm-hmm. Now as an example, I'm not a fan of liturgy. I, I'm not a fan of, of coming in and doing all the blessings and things of that nature. Now, there are certain people who worship that way. And I'm all for them having liturgy and that being part of their service because that's how they truly worship. Whereas for me, worship is more with instrumentation and singing. That's where I worship and I don't get anything out of the liturgy. On the opposite hand, though, I also recognize that as a father, the liturgy is a great teaching tool that I don't have to directly teach my kids, but they're seeing an entire assembly of people saying these blessings and learning these things that are from Scripture in Mm -hmm. most cases, and that they're able to, in that form or fashion, gather the Scriptures in their minds, in their hearts, in their souls, um, that it's not me telling them this is how you have to do it, but but they're seeing that it's normalized yeah. um, in a, in a society. Re- repetition teaches. Repetition put, put, yep. puts ideas, uh, it concretes them into your brain. And we do this in grade school when you do. It's like why do you do your times tables over and right. over and over again? And why do you? Because it 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 you take it to heart. It then gets embedded into your mind. And one of the ideas with we're not just when it comes to prayer, we're not just giving knowledge. We're actually sharing something that's very spiritual. Worship is very spiritual. And so it's not knowledge going into our minds, but it's almost an emotion going into the heart of a person that if you structure it and you teach your children to worship the Lord in that way, it's retained and it's in and it's written into their hearts. And then the next time they hear it or the next time they read the scripture verse that, that it references, you know, suddenly there's a connection to it. And I think the repetition yeah. and the spiritual nature of some of those structured prayers, that's what it's intending to do. It's, in t- it's trying to write itself on our hearts so that it can be retained. Yeah. And I, I find, you know, ultimately, you, as with all topics, we should look to what the master did. What did Yeshua do? Okay. He went to the synagogues and, on Sabbath. Yes, he did. But he also gave us several examples of both. Mm-hmm. And so, so as an example, uh, in, in um, John 17... Um, It's referred to as the high priestly prayer. This is where he prays for his disciples. And he says, Father, I pray. And he does it in front of them. But he does it in a way where it's, Father, I pray that you make them this and that you help them to grow in this. And and it's there for... It brings it to life. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's not only there for their benefit that they would hear him praying these things, but it's also um, a, a free form prayer. It's not a structured prayer. But then we see in along those lines... Um, in Matthew chapter 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane. Very free flow prayer. When he's, he's pouring out he his heart. He was 100% Pentecostal, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, sweat and blood, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but then we see in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray, 
do it in this fashion. And he gives the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And the probably the most, by the way, I, I think it's shame on us for not incorporating that more frequently in our services and mm-hmm. in our, our expression of faith. Okay, mm-hmm. but I've seen this done. It's done very beautifully and also can be very cheesy at the same time in the same fashion. Yeah. Okay, when I was in middle school, the church that I attended there, um, every week the service ended the same way. After the altar call was given and the pastor finished his prayer, he would walk down the center aisle so that he could be at the doors so that he could shake everyone's hand as they left the service. But as he was walking down the aisle, everyone was singing the Lord's Prayer. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, which was kind of refreshing, but at the same time, after a while, it's like super cheesy. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, this is the time well, when we sing kind of that like song. Kind of like blessing. Well, yeah, the, kind of. The, the, the thing that I find interesting is that, you know, the Lord's Prayer, the Messiah gave the Lord's Prayer, and right before that is what I was referencing before, and he says, oh, people, they worship me with their vain repetitions right. or whatever, but when you pray, pray like this. And then I sort of wonder, it's like, well, wait a minute, what if the Lord's Prayer gets repetitive if you just say that the exact yeah. same way every single time? And so yeah, one of the things that I've interpreted from the Lord's Prayer, not only, I've got no problem with reciting the Lord's Prayer word for word, but the Messiah did say, pray like this. In this way. In this way. To where where it's structured, to where it's first you give honor and reverence to the Lord. Then you thank Him for meeting your daily provisions. Mm -hmm. Then you thank Him for His forgiveness and and then also reminding us to forgive others and, you know, deliver us from evil. Don't deliver us into temptation. And so if you took the structure, the bullet points of the Lord's prayer, and that's where the way your prayers come out, but it comes out maybe a little different every single time, uh, you know, I could see that as poten- potentially the interpretation of the Lord's prayer. Sure. Play, pray like this, right. but perhaps not the same every time. Right. Yeah, that's, a, that's a very common One way or the other. Common thought on the Lord's prayer, in, in that's used to talk about the fact that you're not supposed to repeat it just like the Matovu or the Aaronic Blessing or whatever, word for word, in the sense that he was giving a structure, bullet point, of the things you should be incorporating in your personal prayers and that they should be different. And, you know, I'm going to get real spicy with this since we're talking about structured prayer and we're talking about trying to find a balance between either of them. What's the thoughts about having to face Jerusalem Mm -hmm. as if that is like some elevation of holiness or whatever? Because a lot of Christians will ask because that is a very common thing in Islam where they all turn face Mecca Mecca. and they bow and they do things a certain way. And so um, for for a lot of Christians who now see Messianic believers, see us as we're we're keeping the feast, we're keeping the Old Testament elements as well as being believers in Jesus as the Messiah. What's your thoughts on that? Well, in in most of the Messianic tradition, at least that I've seen, a lot of that is the praying toward toward Jerusalem is uh, emphasized specifically with the Shema. Correct. Um, It's not with every prayer. Um, I was also taught customarily that when you put on your talit, you face Mm -hmm. a wall or face toward Jerusalem, and that that's way that that you do that as well. Now, the tradition, the custom of that comes straight out of Scripture, which was the blessing of Solomon after the dedication of the temple, that his fervent prayer, basically talking about after the temple was dedicated 
dedicated to say that when the, the people are scattered into the nations and when they're in battle with the enemy, if they turn their pray, prayers toward and they face toward this city that where you have placed your name, that then your prayers will be heard. And so that's come straight from the words of King Solomon mm-hmm. in the dedication of the temple, which is given for us in, I believe, Second Chronicles 6, also First uh, Kings 8, that is um, that you can read those words, and when you read that, you're like, okay, well, if I'm not in Jerusalem, then, you know, if I'm one of the people of Israel, and if I believe in, in these things, praying toward Jerusalem is very much a, a fulfillment of that scripture. But like all things, I could understand that if that idea or that concept became uh, became rote or became some other custom besides the fact that you're simply trying to fulfill scripture, that's where you might get it might get confused. Again, you go back to the heart of the person and what's the true intent of the person and the prayer. Let me ask you this, because we said that we were going to be a little bit spicy about this. So I, there is a, a thought process that's out there. And, and it gets passed around, unfortunately, primarily through social media, which is where like, a lot of these... Like coronavirus gets passed around? No. Okay. No. Just checking. Conspiracy theories are contagious, though. <laughs> they they are. are. Unfortunately, they are. And so... Same effect. You know, I, I, I would agree with you that, that, you know, we are to go back. There's a precedent for that to, to go back and face towards the land that, that's been promised to us, where we believe that we'll be regathered to, the king will be on his throne, so on and so on. But in those specific instances that are there, the argument has been made that, well, there was a temple. And so he was putting his name there in that dwelling in the temple at that point in time. And when the temple was destroyed, he obviously, we all believe, everybody in this room believes that we're, we're going back to Jerusalem. So I don't want anybody to think that we're, we're downplaying Jerusalem or the holiness of that city prophetically yeah. uh, but, but, and historically. But... Ultimately, that once the temple was destroyed and everything was dispersed out into the world, that the temple is dispersed into the heart. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean... Here's, here's the example, though, from Scripture. There was a time and place where there was no temple, and there's an example of someone praying toward Jerusalem. And it happens in Daniel chapter 6. Mm-hmm. The temple had been destroyed mm-hmm. by the Babylonians, and yet there we find, and it's the whole premise for Daniel being thrown into the lion's den, mm-hmm. is that he opened up his windows toward the direction of Jerusalem and prayed in that direction. We can't use scripture to refute conspiracy theories. Uh, <laughs> but it's, you heard it here yeah. first on right. HFF. <laughs> but it is, it's an interesting thing is that, um, you know, praying toward Jerusalem, I see it less as an instruction and more as a reminder Mm-hmm. It's to remind us. Now, the, the interesting yeah, I like experience that. I had when I was in the land of Israel is that I was in the Shomron. I was in Samaria. I was on the Mount of Blessing. And when it was time to do the Shema, we all turned south, south. for the first <laughs> time like, ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I went, what? Wait. South? Oh, wow. Yeah, and it yeah, kind of blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I think there's a hope there, too, because, I mean, ultimately, if we believe, if a cornerstone of our faith is that Yeshua is the Messiah. He's going to, to bring us back to the land and reign there in that place with us that 
there's a hope when we're longing and praying there that we are praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We're praying for the rebuilding of the temple. We're praying for the kingdom of God to be ushered in on this earth, that final battle to be won in, in all of those elements to happen. So there's, as you're fervently praying, there, you're praying that you would see that happen, that this would come quickly, that the Lord would develop that, and all the crud of this world would basically be gone and we'd be in that position. Um, uh, one, one of the other things I think, and, and this is going back to the argument that people have made where it says, you know, it's like, well, the temple's built here. The temple's not in Jerusalem. So mm -hmm. then, you know, so we, I don't pray to, to that way anymore. The argument that I would make is that because of the sinful nature of man, I would never recommend that people should always look inwardly at themselves to try right. and find God. No, and it because, says the heart is evil. Correct. So what? Because what you do is you then find a religion of self, and then you're then you start to isolate yourself because it's like, oh well, yep. God's here, and that's all that matters. No, we have to remember that the physical re reflects the spiritual, and vice versa. You can't have one without the other. One does not replace the other. And yeah, we like to say the spiritual supersedes the physical. Pop possibly because it is it is more special and greater order. in nature, yeah. the higher order, but that's not to say that it operates without the physical. The physical right. reflects that. So the understanding and the remembrance of the temple that was there helps us to understand the spiritual that is here. And, and we will understand that when we see all these things come together because, number one, he will place his temple, he will be the temple, and it will be in the place that he puts his name, which is Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And at that point, we also see from Zechariah that there yep. will be offerings during that time. Yeah. Those are physical. That It's Correct. not a spiritual representation of offerings, but they're actual physical offerings that are described there in Zechariah. And so the two, and we will all make our way up to that temple to, to be in his presence and things of this nature. So... They're in, in the one who created physics and created uh, dimensions. He has is, he is created all these things to work you know, together. It's a portion of our identity, too, I believe, that, that we, we were missing in the majority of the denominational churches that exist out there. Yes, we find identity in Yeshua. That's huge. You need to have that identity in Jesus or Yeshua. But then lacking the understanding of why, why Jesus did what he did, why these contexts exist, why the future context will be the way they are in the kingdom. If, you, if you're missing that portion, if Jerusalem is not a portion of that, um, you're lacking a huge piece of your identity. You're yeah. lacking who you are and who your Messiah is. And... It really helps put things into context. The, the deeper discussion that we probably don't have time to go into that, that is along these same lines goes back to the sacrificial system and the purposes of the sacrificial system and that people, some people still think that those were done away with, that was nailed to the cross, that none of that's not applicable to us anymore, and they simply don't understand that this was the means by which God commanded for him to be worshipped and that a majority of the sacrifices had to do with the worship of God and not the remission of sin. Mm -hmm. And that simply under understanding those sacrifices and say, oh, well, those are going to be done away with because of what Yeshua did is not applicable when Yeshua didn't come to abolish. Right. He came mm -hmm. to fill them up full of meaning so that the, when he 
the, the way I see it is this, is that if that sacrificial system ever got started back up again, and then that very first Ola when offering, the very first <laughs> offering that is lifted up on the altar, instead of saying, oh, that's all done away with, it's like, no, that first offering being lifted up is now going to remind me of Yeshua being lifted up on the cross right. and his sacrifice. The next time the red heifer sacrifice takes place, yep. should we ever live long enough or be in a generation that could see that happen? You remember the sacrifice of Yeshua mm-hmm. and that he's the one that makes yep. us clean with his sacrifice. The next time the scapegoat goes out, you're going to re- re- right. remember Barabbas and Yeshua and one being chosen and one him yep. going out by the centurion. Every time you, if you were ever to see those sacrifices again today, being a messianic believer in Yeshua, suddenly everything you're watching takes on this whole new spiritual yeah. meaning because, you, because you're then remembering what Yeshua did. So Speaking it's not to Yeshua, say that those things should never be done away with. Right. It's that now Yeshua made them perfect in their spiritual meaning and yeah. the depth of their meaning. Speaking of Yeshua, let's, uh, let's go into one of the other bullet points we wanted to do, <laughs> and that is the phrase that Yeshua is the living word. Mm-hmm. And then one of the most greatest practices that we see in Messianic, Messianic Judaism, whatever you want to call. Judaism um, as a whole. Judaism as a whole is the parading of the Torah scroll. And, you know, you get two, two, two very distinct differences in people. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, they love it. There's a person who just says, oh, there's a beauty in this where, where we, you know, kind of like David dancing said, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on a day and night. And so you see that the other side of that is, Looks why like are you worshiping a piece of paper? Mm-hmm. Looks like an idol. Right. I've, I've heard that said. I've heard other messianics yeah. say it's all like, I don't like the Torah processional. It's, it's, it's like an idol. Yeah. And so how do, how, do you, how do you combat that? What, what, what's, the, what's the argument for that? Yeah, because the living word element of that is normally used by the people who would say, well, no, the Torah scroll is, is the living word of God. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's, it's, it was Yeshua before Yeshua became Yeshua, yeah. even though that's definitely not what the Bible not, says. Not at all. You know, not it says the memra, yeah. the yeah. essence, right. the presence of which is far greater than, than that just... That which it represented him in, throughout the Old Testament mm-hmm. has taken on flesh. Correct. It's not that the, the logos, the word, the, the, the actual scripture has taken on flesh. That's not what it was saying at all. Um, for me, uh, a lot of this started to make sense. I was one of those who initially was... My reaction the first to, the, to the Torah scroll was like, you guys are idolaters, you right. know? I mean, you're literally... Would have never believed you. Bowing, yeah. Literally bowing down and giving reverence to a kissing, physical kissing thing. It, yeah, kissing it. Kissing it, right? And, and, and so what, what made sense for me, what caused me to finally accept it and, and, and value it, um, although it's still, it's not like something I look forward to, but when it happens, I value it, um, was our friend Rico. Uh, Rico explained this in such a way that it finally clicked and made sense for me. And the way that Rico explained it was, it's not about the Torah scroll itself. It's about protocol. And it's about knowing what the protocol is. If the Torah scroll were a representative of Yeshua, how would we behave if Yeshua himself were coming among our midst? Mm-hmm. If he were to walk down the aisle kind of thing, how would we behave? Would we bum rush him? Would we, you know, try and uh, smother him? Or would we show him the respect that he is due and, mm-hmm. and bow down to him and, and try to touch the, the, the fringes of his garment, you know, mm-hmm. just to get close enough to him and to show him reverence and not to turn your back on him? And these kinds of things that are... They're, 
their custom that go along with the parading of the Torah scroll, but they, they point to something greater, which of course is exactly your point about the sacrificial system, is that the sacrificial system is just pointing to something greater, mm-hmm. not that it's done away with, not that it is insignificant, but that its function and its role is ultimately to provide us something that we can see, that we can relate to, that now points to something greater that we can understand if we didn't have this It'd be harder to understand this. One of the things I also like to look at it in that way is that it's a practice. In fact, everything that we do here in the diaspora without a temple, every service that we do, every prayer, it's it's a practice for something that will happen in the future and something greater. And again, like you said, when the Messiah walks in our midst, how will we react? The the thing I also want to point out is almost just sort of a kind of a practical look at, at it as well. It is not unbiblical for there to be um, objects that are there that there's a great deal of reverence toward. Mm-hmm. Take the Ark of the Covenant, for yeah. instance. That it's, This is something that it was like, this was paraded in front right. of the entire camp of Israel. All the illustrations are wrong because it was covered in blue when it was <laughs> actually moving. Yeah. It wasn't golden, <laughs> able for everybody to see. Right. But there, there is this understanding that, that the holy things of the Lord, we, there's a protocol to it, there's a respect to it, there's all of these things that you are, I mean, when you approach the, the great altar in Jerusalem, there was a, I mean, there's a like, I'm not touching it, I'm not doing this, I'm going to be very structured in these things. And in fact, even in the hearts of people, I even think that this naturally happens. This uh, word picture came to mind. Imagine if you had a, if you were a history buff, if you absolutely loved history. And what if you found out that the National Archives and the Smithsonian said that, hey, we're going to take the original Declaration of Independence and we're actually going to take it to various cities and we're going to let people see the original Declaration instead of having to only go to the National Archives. If you're a huge history buff, you know what you would do? You would go and you'd make sure you'd go and you'd want to go see the Declaration of Independence. Give it honor and respect. And and you 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 wouldn't touch it. (laughs) It's not necessarily necessarily that I think it's a matter of worship, but yeah. there is, I mean, any any good patriotic American, you know, has this understanding of what this document did for our country and the yes. freedoms that it afforded us, and there's a healthy respect that we have for it, the Constitution, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and it's like, if that piece of paper was behind glass and was brought to your city, I mean, you would come, you, you'd want to go see it, you want to go walk by it, see it like it was in a museum. Now, how much greater is the Word of God than the Declaration of Independence? Yes. However, though the argument used against to counter the argument you just made and again this I'm just bringing up points I'm not Mm -hmm. really even saying what I believe at this point in time so don't hate mail me and try to go around and say that's what I believe the kids say don't at me oh yeah yeah. don't don't at him don't at me Um, I I'm old now man he's got teenage kids so he's 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 like up on the lingo um Okay, so you reference the fact that, you know, there is an honor being shown. I agree. I mm-hmm. personally don't have any problem with the Torah scroll. But the things that you referenced and some of the counter-argument to that is the Ark of the Covenant. Where is it? The altar in Jerusalem. Where is it? Mm-hmm. So some of the other items that were used in a manner to mm-hmm. either show honor to God or to it had an honor of God, the, they don't exist if, anymore. If, if, you, if we did have those things, then you would show honor to them. So then you would ask, then what do we have? Mm-hmm. Which is why a lot of times people will say, well, that's why you can't find the Ark of the Covenant. That's why God doesn't uh, have uh, an uh, altar uh, right now. So there's, there's, there's an ongoing argument about those I, elements. I, I would even, even make this argument. If you own your own personal Bible, 
Do you show honor and respect to even this book? Yes. One, some, some, because well, some people... Well, I mean, how many people do? Because the running joke is honestly that the Bible has more dust than anything else in the house. Well, uh, I, and that's not how yeah. it should be. It's, right. No, it's not. And, and here, here's another thing is I know some people, like, at least for me personally, I don't take this into the bathroom with me. Yeah. Um, I don't... I don't if I ever set it on a desk and then something, you know, I'm busy working or whatever, and I see something like come over on top of it or something gets set on top of it, if once I realize it, I say, no, 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 I don't yep. do that. I, I okay. make sure nothing is on top of it. Show Nothing's honor. this. Yep. You show honor and respect to the to this book. Then at the, in the same fashion, if you've got a scroll that either, depending on the history of the scroll, some people have handwritten scrolls Correct. from scribes yeah, of Israel yeah. on gazelle Amazing. hide and, yep. and, and has some historical. Beautiful ones in Savannah, Georgia and some of the old original synagogues Absolutely. In then in the same way, you show honor and respect mm-hmm. to what is the word of God. Okay. So I'm just, I'm going to continue to throw it out there then. Devil's so, advocate over here. Well, you know, it's, it's important for us to really have open, honest conversations oh, about these things Not because these things exist all over the place on the internet bring, land. Bring it on. And unfortunately, those things, people change their behavior. They change their customs or their traditions or uh, their religion, basically. Okay, so what about the cross then? If we say that we're showing honor to, to the Torah because of the greatness of the Torah, but yet then we, overwhelmingly, there's a great portion of believers who keep the Sabbath feasts, call the Lord Yahweh, whatever, they adamantly against the cross because it wasn't a cross, it was a stake, and we, we get into all these semantics to justify where, why that is wrong. But if we're using the same logic and rationale could, mm-hmm. that we use for the honoring of the Torah, could yeah. we not use the same logic and rationale to honor the now, now, event now, that changed everything. Now, now, are you speaking about just the symbol of the cross, or are you talking about like a full crucifix? No, that's just flat out creepy. That's flat out creepy. That's what I was But that symbol problem. of a cross yeah. is, is okay. a lot of times, I mean, even now the Star of David, Mogan David, is even like open. For, everything is open yeah. for debate. So, so if we're using logic yeah. and rational and thought here, if you have no problem with the Torah scroll, should you really have a problem with, with the... Right. So, the, and, and per the point here, um, and by the way, that's going to lead me to, I had an aha moment while you were talking that I want to share with you guys, oh, but yeah. Um, <laughs> something I was studying just last week, and you said something that completely clicked. Um, but with the cross, so I don't have a problem personally with the image of, the, the symbol of the cross, okay? Mm-hmm. Except the crucifix where you see Yeshua the on body, it kind a of thing. Body yeah, on, like, on the cross. that's just weird, okay? Um, however... Um, if we're going to choose symbols to represent something, um, I think a much greater symbol to use in that fashion is Fish. no, is the empty tomb versus the cross. The cross is where the death happened. And yes, the death is important, but our hope, our trust is really in the empty tomb and not on the cross. Because the if there's no resurrection, then we don't have any hope of faith, as Paul talks about. But if we go back to the altars and we go back to the sacrificial system, the, the death of that animal and the offering of that animal as a sacrifice was widely celebrated in the sense that they were able to come and offer before the Lord and be cleansed uh, or to give. You know, there's all kinds right. of different offerings. So I'm, I'm not trying to paraphrase them all down into one. Sure. But... By the very same thing, the cross, the stake, the tree, whatever it reminds was. Reminds us of the cost. Reminds us of the cost and the sacrifice yeah. 
by which we were commanded, and we all believe, I, I, my understanding is we all believe that the sacrificial system, it will still happen yeah. again, mm -hmm. and we will not speak against the altar right. uh, of, of the Lord. So, yes, I love the tomb. I love everything about first fruits, the, the sun shining forth. We obviously did that on the first fruits uh, conversation we had broadcast before. But, you know, if we're using the same logic, you know, with the Torah and the cross, they can't... I I, I think, the, the, again, I keep going back to this same well, but it all has to do with the spirit in the, in the heart of the person. Yeah. That, that when you're talking about what the cross either represents, if it's just a, a symbol that represents modern-day Christianity, okay. If people want to wear a cross on, on, on their necklace, like because it's either a part of their, their faith, their belief, that kind of thing. A lot of it's identity. A lot, a lot of it Jews is... Jews will wear is this, a, the Mogan David. I, I, it's, it's an identity. It's, it's very much identity-based. And I think, again, you just have to sense the, the spirit of the person that, is either walking through either the custom, the tradition, or the symbol that they're wearing, or the symbol that they put on their wall, or, or, or something like this. You know, I think even, you know, it might be even weird for me to be saying this, but even the crucifix where you got the sculpted Messiah on, on the cross, you know, even in when it's done and presented in a way that's this very, like, sort of gaudy, in-your-face kind of thing, you're like, your spirit just gets this strange sense. Yep. But when I actually also see just sort of either that depiction, or some people might say in the depiction of movies, whether it be The Passion of the Christ, Ben-Hur, or what have you, I also am reminded of the scripture that says they will look on him who was pierced. Yep. And until you actually, sometimes you need that more... Um, a vivid symbol to sometimes even have it penetrates you even more in your spirit a reminder. to a reminder to know how much the cost was that maybe some people i mean if some if if somebody wanted to stand up and say that the simple cross is dumbed down too much for you to truly understand what what the messiah did and you know i can picture a preacher getting really you know fired up and it's all like until you see the blood until you see that crown of thorns until you see his side that was pierced will you then maybe not understand it and i think some there to a certain person that might be what's necessary to penetrate the heart of the believer to know and believe the what sacrifice. the, the yeah, what no. the sacrifice truly meant, and so even in an instance in which the the sculpted depiction, yeah. I could still see in my heart the the positive impact it could have on somebody, even though many others might say in their spirit they're like, mm, I, I totally disagree with that, or right. I, I I don't believe that to be the case. I mean, I remember uh, the house I'm living in right now. The former owners were Catholic, and when we toured the house, there were there there were crosses all over the house. I can't remember if there was an actual crucifix in there, but. Um, w I remember, and I just got this sense, knowing that they were believers in Messiah, there was a great deal of peace in that house, knowing that the Lord has been worshipped in this house, and it's much better than perhaps some other house that sometimes, you know, people get the sense of spiritual issues in their mm -hmm. own house because of, I mean, that is a whole debate for another day, of course. Right. But um, in, in my mind, again, it, it goes back to the heart of the person and what e any symbol, any custom, any type of prayer or worship, what it really means to them and that you get the spiritual sense in your heart that this is a positive thing and not a negative one. Yeah. So um, along those lines, obviously, understanding that the cross, you know, ultimately it's a symbol of what Yeshua did, okay? Mm -hmm. um, the aha moment that I had while uh, Ephraim was talking. So 
Last week I was studying studying out the portion where uh, it describes the the uh, responsibilities of the Levites. Mm-hmm. Different, uh, right? Yeah, I I'm, don't uh, have to say his name, but um, <laughs> it, it was describing the different responsibilities of the different Levites. Okay, and certain certain family was uh, I think it was Merari was uh, they were responsible for all the curtains mm-hmm. and the poles and everything that was the physical structure of the the tabernacle. The sons of Merari, I believe, were the ones that were responsible responsible for the articles themselves, okay, and carrying them. Well, the description... Kohath. Oh, it was Kohath. Kohath okay. was the Ark of the Covenant so, and the, the so, furniture. But the description that's given there is that it's actually the high priest that has to go in and cover the articles first. And per what you were describing, what it says is, of course, in the Hebrew is that they are to be covered with takash skins, okay? And that's the outside covering. Well, it's been debated for centuries millennia, what is a tachash? You know, what is this animal skin? Well, in, in the NASB, it renders it as porpoise skin, okay? And so the question obviously arises, the Ark of the Covenant is covered in the skin of an unclean animal, and how can this be? And even the tabernacle itself is covered in these unclean yep. uh, skins. And the picture that jumped into my head, the aha moment, when you were describing them parading the, the Ark of the Covenant, but it was covered in blue, and it had these... these what you saw was blue, and underneath that was the Tehashian. Right. Yeah. Is the fact that it's this, is that what the Ark of the Covenant represents is His Spirit, is that His indwelling presence, and yet it was surrounded by something unclean in the same way Yeshua had to take on unclean flesh in order to walk among us. I like that. Um, you know, that, that uh, when you were talking, I, yeah. that, I just saw that jump out, and I was like, oh, my goodness. That's a great word picture. Yeah. Like I'm going to steal that, by the way. Okay. <laughs> Feel free. There's no trademark on it. Yeah. Oh. No, but that, that, the that's... The Torah that, says, thou shalt not steal it. Right. <laughs> no, but, but I, I, I totally agree. It's, it's what's on the inside. It's yeah. not what the outer look of something is. And, and I mean... You know, to, to just be so bold as to say, it's all like there's there's good Catholics that go to mass every single day, but inside that person is the heart of an of, of a true believer that loves the Lord and the loves lords them, and they got an incredible uh, relationship with the Lord, and that's you know coming from somebody that sometimes questions you know what the traditions and customs of, of Catholicism right. are, but that same goes for probably any religion and messianics, Jews, Christians, any denomination. Inside the hearts of the people. Is is the relationship and the covenant that every every person has with the Lord, and that all these things on the outside are sometimes sometimes they get in the way or they become distractions for what's truly going on in the heart of a believer who worships the Lord. And to clarify, before we get the nasty grams, he didn't just espouse a universalist no, position. I did not. No, I did not. I did not say that it's all like, oh, we're all saved right, no matter right. what, no matter what you do or whatever your religion is. That's yeah. not what I'm saying. But for when when you're talking about just ministers or yeah. just ministry that you do on a one-on-one basis, every single person is a case-by-case basis. Mm. It doesn't matter what you grew up doing. It doesn't matter what you're going to be doing ten years from now. But ultimately, it has to do with. What is the heart of the person and the heart of the believer, and how do you worship the Lord? Yeah. And we're, tr- we're always trying to seek after. We're trying to win souls here. We're not trying to win bodies for the Lord. Mm-hmm. We're trying to win souls for the Lord. So the soul, the spirit that's inhabited in this unclean flesh surrounded by uh, uncleanness, we got to weed through all that. we gotta, we, we got to machete through that forest to get to the heart and the spirit and the soul of a person.
Well, I would 100% agree with that because I think, you know, we look at the, the current time frame we're in, the environment that we were forced into right now. They didn't just go in and clean out Christian churches. They didn't go in and clean out Jewish synagogues or Messianic congregations. Everybody is getting cleaned out mm -hmm. right now. And I think that's the thing that, <clears throat> that scares some people because, you know, they maybe were in a denomination that, that they, they've decided to leave now and they've come to the Messianic denomination. And I know I've gotten hate mail for that before, but ultimately we are a denomination because we don't have it all figured out. And if you look at it, there's Messianic Judaism, there's Messianics, there's Messianic Israel, there's Messianic Torah observant Israel, there is um, Hebrew roots, there's Hebraic roots, there's sacred namers, there's black Hebrew Israelites, there's white Hebrew Israelites, there's uh, British nationalist Israelites. There's all these different denominations of people. There's Seventh-day Adventists who keep a portion. So there's all these different sects of people that are out there and they have created their own customs and traditions. And a lot of them, unfortunately, is based upon identity or nationality. Unfortunately, if you look at that, you, you have that. You have the Messianic Jewish movement that is primarily a Jewish identity movement. Yep. Nothing wrong with that, but it is what it is. You have the Messianic Israel, the other side, which is pretty much, unfortunately, it, it, it started out primarily as an Ephraimite type of movement to be contrary to the Jewish identity movement. That has spurned most of those Ephraimite or identity-based people into black Hebrew Israelites, sacred namers, Hebrew roots, Hebraic roots, where theology and dogma and all these things, they're all over the place. They're all over the place. It, it, we, we have become too identity-based. I mean, our mm -hmm. politics have become identity-based. Our Everything. religion has become yep. identity-based. And, and, and we yeah. are just consumed. With, and and I, I've seen this in the Messianic movement where people are so desiring to find out their DNA and what tribe yeah. of Israel yep. they're from. And it's like, and some people come, it's like, hey, I just found out from Ancestry.com that, that I'm from the tribe of Naphtali. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that wants to go like, congratulations, then what? Like, yeah, like yeah. What, what does that mean? Does that make you better than your fellow brother that can't right. trace his lineage to to the to to Israel, right? And it's like that. This is something it's we, like a Cub Scout badge or something. Yeah, we get to I mean, put I, I on mean, ourselves. because I'm because I might know I'm from the tribe of Judah does not make me better than anybody. Yeah. Which because, is why I so appreciate the examples of Rahab and of Ruth and of oh Caleb gosh, yes. and 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 the men and women in Scripture who can't trace their lineage to anything, and yet they were accepted, and they are integral in the story of Israel. Correct. Rahab and Ruth Correct. both being in the line of the Messiah and King David. Amazing. So it's like, so, yeah. so here, I was reading this, and so I definitely want to go to this passage on this whole identity thing. In, in, if this comes up, if you're dealing with this question or anything like that, I, I challenge anybody, go to Romans chapter 3, start mm -hmm. at verse 21 and read on. And it yep. is, it, and, and the Apostle Paul is spelling this out as clear as day for anybody that might try to, to, to put anything above another person because of their identity or who they're from or what denomination they go to Correct. or what denomination, May your denomination is wrong. This one got, got a lot of Paul apostle. right here, ver, starting at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even, to, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, to all and on all who believe, not just the some, to all. 
For there is no difference, for all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is Messiah Yeshua, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate, I also love that because then it's like that shows that he, that he paid, say passed he, over. Yeah, pa- yeah, pa- like pa- passed over. Right. Yeah. Uh, in, to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Yeshua. Is that King Jimmy? Uh, this is uh, New King James. Is this one <laughs> okay. right here? Where is boasting then? It is it is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that man is justified, faith apart from his deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. The law and Torah is established by faith in the fact that all are saved. That's the thing about the Torah. The Torah expounds that all are say uh, the, the mixed multitude. This is the for one. The sojourner the who is with you alien. and the foreign. Yeah. It's like the, yep. that. That's Same what, that's what the Torah everyone. said then, and that's what Paul's saying in the first century, and that's still the way that it is today. Correct. Forget whether you're yep. Gentile or Jew, circumcised or not, or which denomination servant. you're not. Servant, you believe Slave, in free the Messiah. Correct. You got it. Yeah. Which, I, I don't know why this is an argument. It, 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 yeah. Well, it, it is because it, it, ultimately, it is. as as people, identity, we Not want identity, identity. It, 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 we, we want status. We, 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 we want to know where we came from. We yeah. do. It, it's ingrained in us. And the easiest method human beings use to to elevate themselves is to tear down another. Mm-hmm. So what you see is you see that there is is a 35 to 45 year history with Messianic Judaism kind of returning to the roots of being believers in Yeshua, but also having the Hebraic and Jewishness of themselves. And then you see the interactions of people. And it's like, well, hey, if we can tear down the Jews to elevate uh, Ephraim and all the scriptures about Ephraim, Ephraim, the, 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 we the, should just be believers of God mm-hmm. in the kingdom of God. And there is still this sort of feeling, and this is something that's gone back into ancient times and and other other teachers have studied this, this idea that there is somehow that God's power and his grace is limited, that there Mm -hmm. is a limited amount that is available to the world. So I have to tear that person down to get my own Mm -hmm. and that we we have to shatter that lens of limited of limited good and the power that God has. A shout out to my bro Daniel McGurk here for, for that teaching, and that we've got Kingdom to concept of honor and shame. Absolutely, we have to get rid of this idea that God that, that God's power is limited. Then in no way do we ever have to tear somebody else down to get something we for ourselves. We all serve the we royal garden. Take the responsibility. Yes. We're trying to restore honor. Okay, now you guys are just quoting <laughs> teaching titles in everything you're saying. But it's all it's all basic all principles. I'm sitting here trying to say. We have a biblical mandate. <laughs> we, we do have a biblical mandate you, to, to, to teach to teach the word, word of God in 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 the best way that we know how. But it, it's we have got to. Everyone has to give an account. Individually, you have to give an account. It's not about what they did. It's not about how wrong they were, but it's about what are you doing. Yeah, and if if we want to somehow justify ourselves by making the same wrongs that we say that they did, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, the basic principle of two wrongs don't make a right. And so we have to get away, and and that's why I've enjoyed having these conversations with you guys, even though some people may hate the hate mail or whatever. But, like, 
we honestly take customs and we take traditions and we elevate them to the level of commandments sometimes. And, or sometimes worse. Sometimes we'll say, well, that tradition is anti-commandment when it really never was. It was just simply a tradition or simply a custom. And we have to go back and we have to say, like, look, if we're, if we're going to break fellowship or if we're going to have a very serious conversation with our brothers and our sisters, it has to be over something that is a commandment-based issue. Because for too long, whether it's Christianity or Judaism, and don't let anybody lie to you and tell you Judaism doesn't have the same amount of sex. There's a lot of, of, of division in Judaism, too. So when you're looking at those things... There's a C and a T in that word. You, you said it really fast. <laughs> sex. Sect. Yeah. yeah, like, so the different areas, not what my wife and I did to have kids. Stop! Oh, my gosh. So, well, you guys are the ones who went there, so... So we have to get away from, from defining customs and traditions as commandments and then also minimizing commandments as just customs or traditions. Mm -hmm. Because customs and traditions are beautiful when they're used to uphold a commandment or remind, or we even talked about early on, sometimes being repetitive to teach our kids mm -hmm. about the commandments and about the Lord and that. But when we start to use customs and traditions to, to put down our brother Judah or put down our brother in, in Christianity or whatever, we're really putting ourselves in a seat of, of being judgmental that we really don't. And we need to understand the protocol of the king. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's not our job to judge our fellow brother. We're losing it now with the, uh, <laughs> with, <laughs> with the teaching title quotes now. But um, yeah, it's not our judge, job to judge our fellow brother in the things that they do. And that's what so many of us want to do mm -hmm. when it comes to either what their custom is or what that congregation's you know, tradition is or how they do it, how they do that prayer. If I was going to walk into another Messianic congregation and take issue with how they do the Shema, then, yeah. or then, or then what, what good am I attempting to, to accomplish And ultimately here? what this comes down to is that um, it, in our xenophobia, because that's really what it is, we all like to feel like we fit in. And Correct. that's what identity is about. It's about joining those that are most like you, feeling like you, you are a part of something and fitting in. What we have to look out for is that we don't use that to cause our xenophobia, our fear of, of that which is different, mm -hmm. to make us hate or reject that which is different because mm -hmm. that makes us no different in that scenario than the Jews in Acts chapter 15 who said, you have to do these things, you dirty Gentiles, in order to be saved. Yep. And, 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 you know, the answer there from James and Peter is, look, um, show me the verse that says that they need to do those things to be saved. No, but these are the things at a minimum that Scripture yeah. says that, so that we should be doing. So you can come into the assembly. And, yeah, and, and then they'll learn the rest along the way, and that will be enough to satisfy you know, the, I, the demands. I can, so, I can guarantee you that when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they were starting to receive either commandments or, or customs or they were taking the census among the children of Israel, that somebody with the wrong spirit, with the wrong heart, looked over at the Egyptians that were among them that had just come from Egypt mm -hmm. with them, and they said, why are they being counted along with us? Right. Somebody well, said. Yeah, I'm sure. And yeah. it's like, no, they were a part of Israel, adopted into there the tribes no as much as... There is no mm -hmm. they in us, yeah. but you yourself are making it of them and us. No, yeah. it's, it's just us. It's just who we are. And somebody's going to make the mistake. I'd counsel anybody that might hear my voice to not make this mistake. When we get to the kingdom, and we're mm -hmm. all there, yeah. worshiping in New Jerusalem, don't turn to your Ooh. left look at some dude that you knew back in yeah. the pre previous yeah. life and then turn to your neighbor or turn to the Lord and say, what that, what's that guy doing here? Mm. I will, let me counsel you to not 
do that. In fact, yep. when you see that person say, hallelujah, they're here too. Right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> there you well, go. and I mean, I'd like to, I'd like to tie in with that, something that Stephen Furtick had preached on. And yes, I'm quoting Stephen Furtick. And yes, we're, this is a principle that I think is amazing. I like here. Stephen Furtick. So he was talking. As long as he's not yelling at me. Well, he's always yelling. <laughs> <laughs> and the vein in his neck is always going. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, if you're watching, I love you. I have a lot of respect for you, but the vain a, thing is... It's is, a man love. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a bro thing. But anyways, um, he was talking about the, the time where Jesus had, had healed the man and he had picked up his uh, mat and he had walked towards the temple. I saw that same teaching. And, and ultimately, he, he had gotten to the point where he was talking about how the religious leaders of those days, um, all they could see was the mat. Yeah. that he was carrying a mat on Shabbat. And all they could see, now, mind you, these are these are religious men. These are people who were in the temple well, all the well, time. Well, it's also believed they he, they knew this guy was crippled. Exactly. Right? They knew of this man. They he knew who there he was. All the he time. was there all the time and crippled, and then they complained to him about carrying a mat rather yeah. than the fact he's walking. They right. took the commandment, and, and they basically like had, had, had missed the miracle of what Jesus had done. And... How many of us in our own life right now, Messianic, Christian, Jewish, whatever your belief system is, uh, whatever your faith is that you practice, how many of us constantly are looking at the mat and not the miracle? And that ties directly into what you were saying in your response to that in the fact that like all of us are freaking walking miracles. Mm -hmm. The fact like if you go back and you look at what you did in your life 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 25 years ago. The fact that you would be sitting here today watching this broadcast, that we would be sitting here, that, that God would choose to allow us to even like be talking about him, pretty humbling when you think about it. So why are we looking at the mat? Why are we looking at any of those things as the source of righteousness or the source of justification when none of us are justified because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. I know we've gone over on our time today. We'll definitely have to do this because we have, we have two bullet points that I wanted to get into today that next, we didn't get into. Next time. We'll, uh, we'll get it done next time. Um, but yeah, you know, we have to keep the commandments holy and set apart and not use customs and traditions as commandments. It's, it's, heavily important for us to try to strike that balance whatever way you might fall on any of the topics we talked about today uh, in your personal growth um, you know what you've been you've been keeping sabbath for 30 years of your life my whole life yeah so um are you the same no. today that you were okay no. how many years have you been doing it 15 okay i'm uh, i think 13 or 14 somewhere in there 13 probably are you the same that you were when you first started not at all i'm not either so you look at that and you, can, you know that this is a journey, this is a process that we're on, and the judgment we cast today or the relationship we demolish today could have been the very one that maybe would have get, gotten us to, to that next step in that journey that God had for us. And so um, let's always seek to, to be like Yeshua in our relationships, in our, our observance of the commandments and the customs and traditions our homes do. So, uh, Daniel, will you close us in prayer? And, uh, we'll Structured see. prayer or free-flowing oh, prayer? Or? If you want to get your mat out, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great goodness. We thank you that you have uh, called us 
into your family and have invited us to come serve you. And it is indeed our pleasure and our privilege to serve you, to be in your presence and to seek you. Father, we ask that uh, we would always be mindful that the things that you have shown us in Scripture, the things that you have revealed to us, are there to teach us something more significant and that that significance always points to your Son. And the work that you have wrought through your Son, taking on this human flesh, being our sacrificial lamb for us on our behalf, taking upon us our sin, our debt, our penalty, and removing it from us, and rising again to new life, that we might have the promise that we can be resurrected from the dead unto new life and be with you in your kingdom. Father, anything that distracts us from those points, custom, tradition, anything else, may it fall by the wayside. But may we only keep those things that keep us focused on you. And those things that are good, those customs, those traditions that do point to you, do point to your Son. Father, we are so thankful for them, and we ask that you would help us to truly see the significance there is within them. And may we value and treasure those, and as your Word says, may we speak of them with our children as we walk by the way, when we lie down, when we rise up. May we speak of them at all times. May your praise continually be upon our lips, our King and our Savior. We pray this in your name and in the name of your Son, Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. And now time for structured prayer. <laughs> if we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke in emotion and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is the way you shall bless the children of Yisrael. Adonai Vaishmarecha Yaheh Adonai Panavilecha Vichunecha Yisarunai Panavilecha Vayasim lecha Lecha Shalom. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for this week's Shabbat live stream. We pray that the teachings and the worship were edifying to you, but most importantly, that they lifted up and blessed the Lord because He has blessed us beyond belief. Even the ability to be able to be speaking to you today, no matter where you're at. 
It's a blessing, and we, we cannot thank the Lord enough for that. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, or you would like to give towards our widows and orphans and community funds to help those who are less fortunate, you can do so by visiting HebraicFamily.com. None of our staff takes any types of salaries or stipends, and all of the money is put back into furthering the work of the kingdom for the Lord. May Yeshua the Messiah bless you on the Sabbath. We look forward to seeing you next week. Shalom.